we wish as we present this service here in the sanctuary that we were all gathered face to face and we look forward to that time when when that will be possible but uh, still we look forward to this time where we can uh, gather at least virtually and think together about uh, some of the most important things in our lives our faith and our values and our relationships with each other this morning uh, we will hear a, a, a scripture from the Gospel of Mark. It is a story uh, that is told in all four Gospels. Uh, I chose it today because it, for, it is not a part of the lectionary schedule of readings. Not sure exactly why that is, but I thought it was important that it be read today. So this is from the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter, and I'm reading from a translation called The Message. And the setting is what we would call Palm Sunday. Jesus is walking with his disciples to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and he uh, sees a fig tree and uh, he, it's full of leaves, but no fruit. And so he curses the fig tree on his way into town. And now the scripture picks up here. They arrived at Jerusalem, and immediately upon entering the temple, Jesus started throwing out everyone who had set up shop there, buying and selling. He kicked over the tables of the bankers and the stalls of the pigeon merchants. He didn't let anyone even carry a basket through the temple. And then he taught them, saying a, a quote from uh, uh, Jeremiah, My house was designed to be a house of prayer for all nations, and you've turned it into a hangout for thieves. The high priests and the religious scholars heard what was going on, and plotted how they might get rid of Jesus. But they panicked, for the entire crowd was carried away with his teachings. And when it became evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today I'd like you, as you're sitting there at home or wherever you are, to think about maybe grabbing uh, a TV remote or something. And I don't know, maybe at your house there's always a contest about who gets to hold it. So uh, think about who is going to hold the remote today because that's going to be our time machine. I want to take us in a time machine to different places in time. So if you have the remote, I want you to just pretend that you are taking us back to 1965. 1965. I want to bring our attention to uh, a person who was one of the finest observers of American society at that time. His name was Howard Thurman. He was an African-American pastor and teacher and mystic and ethicist. He wrote many books, among them a book called The Luminous Darkness. And in 1965, that was, that was two years after 
I had moved from up north down here to Jacksonville. It was 11 years after a Supreme Court decision had shaken the foundations of our society. And it was five years after a notorious Saturday event in downtown Jacksonville. 1965, Howard Thurman, talking about his people, said, quote, we were despised so long, at last we despised ourselves. And he went on to explain this way. He said, it is extraordinarily difficult to see day after day your life and the life of your fellows cheaply held, to be born to live in the midst of a climate of violence without being deeply affected by it. The mother and the father of a child, the adults and the prestigious members of the family and intimates, these are the points of reference for a child. And it's difficult to assess what happens to a child in an environment where he sees his parents and other adults humiliated and reduced to insignificance by the treatment received from certain persons in the environment. To experience their defenselessness is cruel and rottening to the self. That was Howard Thurman in 1965. Now take the time machine back, way back, back to 63 BC. During the Roman Empire and the Emperor Pompey lays siege to Jerusalem and eventually conquers the city ending Israel's independence, shattering its economy, making it a vassal state, dismembering its own kingdom, and during all of this, during the time, the lifetime of Mary and Joseph, their nation became a slave state and a servant state of the empire. And so Jesus, as a child growing up, would have seen the humiliation of his own adult generation. The Roman-appointed governors faced a succession of violent protests and outright revolts during the lifetime of Jesus and beyond, leading eventually to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And so it is in the mid-course of these events and this environment that Jesus' brief public career occurs. It is the context for today's story about Jesus coming to the temple, a story and context of resentment and anger and oppression. Let's take the time machine to another place, Let's bring it up forward to today. Well, not today, yesterday. Yesterday there was another march downtown in front of the courthouse and to the city hall to protest racial injustice and specifically in law enforcement and in criminal justice. I would say that 
it looked like about uh, half the people there were under 30, a very young group for the most part, a mixture of white and black. I would have to say they didn't look like the typical congregation here on a Sunday morning. But in other ways, they had some important things in common with you and I. For one thing, 95% of them wore masks. They're concerned about public safety and health. Like us, they want peace, and they were peaceful in their demonstration. And they want meaningful change, as I'm sure we all do. Most of the speakers spoke using Christian faith language and symbols. It was very interesting that as they shouted about their anger and their sense of injustice, they also shouted out their hope and their faith in a future that is held by God. He's got the whole world in his hands. I'm not implying that this crowd of of 20-year-olds and teenagers and 30-year-olds, that they were deeply grounded in church, that they have strong ties to a congregation. No, in fact, I, I rather doubt that. But I do think that if we were to ask them to name, to give a name to their crowd, they might well call themselves a movement for justice and reconciliation. So let's take the time machine back to 30 AD. I would suspect, wouldn't you, that at sometimes Jesus got frustrated, maybe even angry, for a number of reasons. Perhaps during that time when he was asked to go to the house where a little girl was very sick and he was asked to come and help and heal her and on the way she died and Jesus said to them, don't give up hope, still believe I'm still on the way. And those who were mourning started to derisively laugh at him. And he told them, just get out of here. I only want the parents in the room. Or maybe when a crowd surrounds a woman caught in adultery and they use her to trap Jesus in a test of moral authority and he confronts their hypocrisy. Or maybe when Peter tells Jesus that he needs to not go to Jerusalem where he most certainly will be arrested. And Jesus says, get out of my way, Satan. Or maybe when the crowd has been hungry for Jesus' teaching and they're out there in the wilderness and they're then physically hungry and the disciples just want to send them away and Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. I don't know if Jesus was really angry in any of those situations could have been I think wherever those who were within the covenant of love community with God withheld love 
Jesus got upset. And whether or not Jesus felt angry at any of those other times, it didn't really erupt. But here, at Passover in Jerusalem, something set him off. He curses a fig tree for not bearing fruit, even though he knew it wasn't the season for bearing fruit. Because he was really talking about the nation, the people of Israel, not bearing the fruit of the covenant of love that they were given. And when he got to the temple, and when he saw what was going on there, it was a tipping point, a tipping point for him and for the whole human race. For he would not survive the actions he took early in that week. His protest would not be tolerated. The actual protest march had occurred one day before, on Sunday. Jesus had put a lot of thought into it. He decided he would use a donkey as a prop and to ride that donkey into the city to demonstrate that God's intentions for the world would not and could not be accomplished by human violence and coercion, by the force of threat in any of its manifestations. The crowd brought not signs, but other symbols of coronation, palm branches and coats that they laid before him on the ground. And the march grew to such a point that according to the Gospels, the whole city was disrupted. And while some raised their voices in excitement and, and announced, blessed is the coming of the son of David, the new king, others were staying inside, foregoing their usual afternoon activities and sheltering in place with the curtains drawn, afraid of what might happen. The authorities were taken by surprise the police were not prepared. There was no resistance, not until later in the week on the day before the Passover. One day after this protest march, Jesus returns to the city, goes to the temple, and he speaks with prophetic conviction. My house shall be a house of prayer. It is meant my house to be a house for all people, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, all people. And his anger erupted in a, matter that, in a manner that was not deemed religiously respectful or patriotic or socially acceptable. He overturned tables and drove people out of the courtyard engaged in the currency exchange. Even though those things were not in themselves unlawful. But Jesus protested the corruption and the manipulation and the racial ethnic exclusion that was going on even in the center of Israel's religious life. When anger erupts, 
it usually does so with a raised voice, perhaps with a slammed door, or a closed fist, or an axe handle, or a brick, or a gunshot. When anger erupts, it's not usually carefully thought out or measured. It's not always proportional to the moment. It's often not pretty or attractive. When anger erupts, it is because it is urgent. It is a deep cry from within the soul that says something has been violated. Something essential and fundamental is wrong, is broken. Whether that occurs at school, in the home, or out in society. But underneath all of this outrage, underneath it, is grief, lament. Take the time machine back to 1965 and listen to Howard Thurman one more time. He said, despite all that has been said about racism in our society, it is my conviction that time is against it. In fact, much of the current effort to hold the line may be viewed as a back-against-the-wall endeavor. The more the world becomes a neighborhood in which time and space are approaching zero as a limit, the more urgent becomes the issue of neighborliness. He said that in 1965. He went on to say, this means that the external symbols of racism, such as walls and monuments, cannot survive modern life. Oh yes, the the inner attitudes, the spiritual sickness, that can survive. That must still be dealt with. Yesterday, yesterday my heart was full. Full of pain for the black mothers and fathers and community who had lost some of their own. Also full of pride in so many young people coming out and saying, time's up. And also longing for that crowd to discover how their movement, our movement, can have the necessary spiritual resources to sustain it for the long term. The church must not only listen, but must affirm and nurture our brothers and sisters. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the prince and pa- princes, principalities and powers of this world. Paul says that we are to overcome evil with good, hate with love, despair with hope. That may sound obvious, or trite, may sound soft, but we are left with the question that Jesus asked, where 
is the fruitfulness of the tree. May God bless us all with his love and joy, even as we lament. Amen.